Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to read you a bedtime story. I put in an early warning last week, but I want to reiterate. This week, if you have any triggers, please read the trigger warnings in the show notes. I tuck them at the bottom, so if people want to avoid spoilers, they may. So please look at them. It's been a while since we've had an extra gory story on the show, and this one is squishy. In fact, if you make it through this episode, let me know on social media, because I have a feeling a few of you will need to tap out. So with all that said, this week's episode was written by a friend of mine, Andrew Parker, who is an independent creator. He produces two audio drama podcasts, Crypta, which I got to do a voice on, and Ghosters. Andrew Parker writes on paper. He likes to breathe air on the weekends and lives the horrors of American life. He has no notable achievements or qualities. Andrew Parker is just a run-of-the-mill human writer with absolutely no ties to the rash of mysterious cattle mutilations that occurred in Colorado between April and October 1975. Follow this totally normal human on Instagram at FritzBoneLord. I'll tag that in the show notes. Without further ado, this is Obscene. The dilapidated facade of the weather-worn concrete building before me looked both imposing and on the verge of collapsing. I felt a quick twinge of apprehension in my gut, but I knew if everything went smoothly, I'd be making a lot of money. So I ignored it and entered the structure. Some models hire an escort for shoots like this. And in this vein of the business, when you work with the kind of creeps I work with, it's not a bad idea. But I got a condition, or rather, an affliction. A bad one. Morphine sulfate. About 120 milligrams a day. And that means I need every last penny of my pay to keep from getting sick, and can't be kicking 10% of my check to some burly, glorified bodyguard who doesn't do anything besides stand around as I'm being flogged or beaten or whatever the script calls for. I'm a fetish performer in a pretty niche market. Hyper-violent sadism pornography. Beatings, whippings, rape play, kidnapping, edge play, faux snuff, the real sick shit. The average person would be shocked and probably pretty disgusted at how large of a market exists for this type of filth. But that's my job. It's also how I got hooked on the M. After an hour or so of getting the skin whipped off your back, or your face rearranged by some sicko to jerk off over, there's nothing quite like that orgasmic, full-body wave of euphoria that a fat shot of morphine has to offer. My friend who got me on the stuff said, It's like being wrapped in the softest, warmest blanket and shoved inside the prettiest pussy. And she wasn't wrong. But I digress. On this day, 
I was working with a new group. Some deep web purveyor of shock porn. Borderline illegal stuff. They sent me some of their videos so I'd get an idea of what I was getting into. It wasn't anything groundbreaking in the genre, but they had a certain panache. Gritty, shot on cheap camcorders, bad lighting. The director was a real auteur of shock. Faux snuff, lots of blood, nothing I hadn't done before. It wasn't my favorite type of gig. These type of videos were painful, and the recovery period could take weeks depending on how mashed up I got over the course of shooting it. But the proposed pay was outstanding and would cover me and my habit of morphine, sex workers, and cheap hotels for well past time it took me to heal. The location was wild, an old abandoned slaughterhouse that looked like it hosted more than a few meth orgies and satanic rituals. Natural light made its way in through the gaping holes in the disintegrating ceiling. The crumbling concrete walls were covered, floor to ceiling with graffiti. Meth head fuckhouse, I love LSD, hail Satan, and most interestingly, I fucked Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus. The floor was covered in standing water, dirt and debris, empty spray paint cans, smashed beer bottles. It looked like a nightmare fueled by self-destruction and desperation, and an infection waiting to happen. The perfect backdrop for the type of depravity we'd be getting down to today. This is quite the venue, I remarked upon entering the structure. A Weasley little voice excitedly replied. The voice belonged to a squat, pale, sweaty, bald man with a visage that bore a strong resemblance to that of Uncle Fester from the Adams Family movies. I immediately felt a strong aversion to him, but then again, I got this same feeling with most of the perverted producers I'd worked with. Just another sleazy creep. He reached into a bag and removed a clipboard. I felt another, much stronger premonition of dread. But again, I ignored it. I'll need your signature and the date down here at the bottom, Mr... Balasong, was it? Yeah, Tommy Balasong, I said, taking the clipboard. Make sure you spell it right when you release this. Word of mouth, you know. Uh, Of course, of course. He handed me the paperwork. I perused the consent-slash-release form quickly. Pretty standard. Dismemberment. Grievous injury. Death. Blah, blah. Not civilly liable. Blah, blah. Basically says, I consent to what's about to happen and for the video to be released. And that I'm waiving my right to sue for any and all bodily harm that I'm surely about to receive. I've signed a million of these. Nothing out of the ordinary. I could feel my last fix starting to wane, and I knew in a few hours, I'd be feeling the cold fingers of junk sickness tickling at the base of my skull and the pit of my stomach, at which point I need to bang another pill or I'd be in rough shape. So, I ignored my bad feelings about this creep 
and signed my name at the bottom. All right, let's get this started, I said, handing the clipboard back to the corpulent little weirdo. I've got another engagement in a few hours. This engagement was with a spoon, dropper, and a needle in my vein. But they didn't need to know that. Though, it was probably written all over my face. He grinned. The jagged, predatory grin of a deep-sea creature, like an anglerfish or a moray eel, and the tip of a wet little tongue flicked out, moistening his already clammy lips. Straight to the point. I appreciate your, ahem, professionalism. Time is money, you know. He said, nodding approvingly. Whatever, I muttered mentally preparing myself for the coming onslaught. I was used to what was about to happen. He clapped his wet little hands together and shouted, Zuzu, we are ready for you! And a scantily clad, very muscular woman emerged from a doorless room. Let's begin! He said, raising the camera. It was an old 8mm camera. One of those you have to crank by hand. (sighs) Impresarios, I thought, as he began to quickly crank the camera beginning to film. These guys are so fucking pretentious. So is there like a script or outline or some... Zuzu cut me off with a wallop to the nose. Great form, solid follow-through. She'd been trained. It made a sound like a pane of glass being cracked between two stakes that reverberated between my ears, and blood spurted out my nose. Definitely broken. No big deal. That'll happen. Looked like we were cutting the foreplay and getting straight to the meat of the video. I actually prefer it this way. It's usually over faster when we just jump right in. I rapidly received a deluge of haymakers, hooks, uppercuts, forearm smashes, axe kicks, knee strikes. The onslaught was relentless and cruel. She was really giving it to me. Regardless of what anyone says, getting the shit kicked out of you doesn't hurt less with repetition. It just becomes less of a shock to the system. And goddamn did this bitch know how to shock the system. I grunted with every hit. After a particularly vicious ground and pound where I took about 20 hammer fists to my already broken nose, I stood shakily to face her. We'd barely started and I was already seeing double. These people didn't fuck around. She cocked her arm back and twisted her torso for a hard right cross, let fly, and connected perfectly with the midpoint of my jaw. The button, some fighters call it. White exploded into my vision. And then, nothing. A solid hit to the jaw. The ensuing snapback and quick stop of your head will bounce your brain against the inside of your skull and crash it into the opposite side. And the trauma causes a mass of neurons to fire, overloading your reticular activating system the brain's relay station to the rest of your body, and causes you to lose consciousness. Basically a hard reset for the brain. Lights out. In my mind, I was swimming 
in the abyss, floating through a vortex of stars toward my family and friends as they beckoned me to join them. I felt love and calm. This wasn't the first time I'd felt this, another standard in my line of work. When you've got this much endorphins and adrenaline shooting through your veins, your brain does some weird shit to you. I'm not a believer, but I think this is what religious folks believe is heaven. The hallucinations of a brain flooded with chemicals, time dilation, a sensation of total euphoric security and serenity, dissociation from the body, the tunnel of light, and the time knife. The whole near-death experience experience. I awoke to the sharp odor of smelling salts held beneath my nose. Then, blood. Old blood. A smell I'm familiar with, but not in a volume like this. The scent of copper was cloying in my broken nose, and I could taste it on the back of my tongue. Metal and cold. Coming to after losing consciousness can be a jarring experience, especially when the first thing you're greeted with is a simpering little goblin of a man shoving a camera in your face. After getting my bearings and remembering where I was and what I was doing, I raised my head and assessed my surroundings. I was no longer in the slaughterhouse building. This was a smaller room, but just as dank dilapidated and fetid as the last, if not more so. I looked down to see a large tarp at my feet, and then up to see my hands shackled to an Andrew's cross. An Andrew's cross is a pair of crossing braces that sort of look like a diagonal cross and provides restraining points for ankles, wrists, and waist. So, when secured, a subject is restrained in a spread eagle position, though in this case I was restrained only at the wrists by a pair of metal, probably stainless steel, manacles. To my right was a small table with one of those surgical trays on it, with an array of wicked-looking tools and sharp implements, as well as a nail gun. Things had gone way off script, and in a direction I very much did not appreciate. Orange! I shouted, my safe word. Orange! 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 The director did not respond. Just kept cranking his little 8mm camera. His evil little grin was now an ear-to-ear rictus. I could practically see his molars. All right, he's awake! Enter animal. At this, a very tall and built man who had not been present prior entered the room from a crumbling doorway off to the side, wearing a black leather S&M mask. His eyes looked vacant of a soul and focused with a homicidal lust. He removed a syringe from the table and uncapped it as he approached me, then jabbed it into my forearm, 
hitting me right in the vein with an expertise even I, at this point, a veteran junkie, didn't possess. He depressed the plunger, and after a beat, I felt the familiar feeling of junk soothe my pangs of withdrawal. And something else. Something speedy. I'd shot speedballs before, but this was different. My skin was tingling with static electricity, like I'd taken a handful of molly. My mind raced with amphetamine fervor. What the fuck was about to happen to me? Who the fuck was this guy? Why the fuck had I been so reckless? The Hulk turned back and set the syringe on the table, and began to stretch his arms and loosen up. Hey man, what the fuck is going on here? This wasn't what we talked about. I jabbered angrily at the director, notes of concern definitely audible in my voice. He ignored me, and continued to leer lasciviously from behind his camera. The mammoth, masked monster sauntered over to me, hauled back and smashed me in the mouth with the force of a freight train. I felt my teeth, the ones that were still real at least, smash under his fist. A sickening crunch, like someone walking on broken glass and high heels that I felt inside my brain. A white, hot bolt of pain instantly shot from the crown of my head down to the tips of my toes and back again. I vomited from the pain and the thought of my dental destruction, (laughs) spewing bile, blood, porcelain caps, and shards of ruined enamel and dentine. The hard little bits tinkled on the grimy concrete floor. The mammoth turned to the table with the surgical instruments and picked up a scalpel. He trudged back over to me and held it up to my face, breathing heavily and slashing at me, just barely missing my flesh, mocking me. He continued this for a moment, panting excitedly, and with a quick downward swing, sank it into my thigh. It buried itself deep, and I felt it scrape the bone of my femur. I screamed in pain, and animal bellowed back at me in my face, eyes wide and breath smelling like rotten teeth. He turned back to the table and selected a nail gun. It was the kind that was wireless with its own built-in air compressor. Milwaukee. Nothing but heavy duty. He stood there appraising it and checking to see that it was loaded. He turned back to me. He undid the latch connecting the manacle on my left hand to the Andrew's cross and held my wrist, pushing my hand flat against the wood. He pressed the nail gun to my palm and quickly fired one, two, then three nails through it into the plywood. My head was spinning and I barely felt it. The wood must have been cheap or old because I heard it split and splinter with the third nail. I yanked down, feeling the pain scream through my palm and the wood split further and fell. My impaled hand swung free and Animal squinted his eyes in consternation, probably realizing that next time he plans to crucify someone, 
it's a good idea to spring for pressure-treated lumber. I brought my freed hand down, and with all my might on top of his head, cracking it hard with the metal shackle around my wrist. He grunted in surprise and pain and stumbled back, dropping the nail gun, rubbing his freshly split bean. I had to act quickly, and I knew what I needed to do if I didn't want to die in the next few minutes. I grasped the scalpel and wrenched it from the flesh in my leg. I gritted my shattered teeth and dragged the scalpel around the full circumference of my wrist above the shackle, cutting it to the bone. There was no bracing for the next part. I sank to my knees and pulled hard against the remaining manacle. There was a fair bit of resistance for the first few seconds, but when it gave, it gave quickly. Searing pain shot up my arm and into my brain as I degloved my own hand, a la Gerald's game. Thank you, Stephen King. The pain was magnificent and incapacitating, even through the adrenaline and opiates. But I pushed through and screaming, grabbed the nail gun with my unmangled hand and struggled to pull the safety lever at the front of the gun back with my new slimy, skeletal hand. I got it back and unleashed a barrage of air-powered nails at Animal, peppering him in the upper torso and face. He screeched and fell to his knees as one of the nails found a new home in his eyeball. He clawed at the nail sticking out of his eye. Quite unexpected! The director cried gleefully. What a twist! Still cranking the camera, dropping the nail gun, I lurched to the tray of torture implements and grabbed a short-handled mallet with my good hand. I spun on the ball of my foot and, raising the hammer above my head, brought it down as hard as I could on the top of Animal's leather-clad head with a wet crunch. His hands fell limp, and he let out the air in his lungs. With a whoosh. His good eye looked into mine as I brought the mallet down again on the same spot, and I felt the crown give. The top of the mask caved in, and his remaining good eye popped from the socket, propelled by scrambled gray matter, and hung useless on his face as he slumped to the ground and gurgled a death rattle. I turned to the director, wild-eyed. He was still cranking the camera, muttering to himself. Yes, yes, now the coup de grace. I charged at him with everything I had and tackled him to the ground. The camera clattered on the concrete and out of sight. I grabbed him by the ears and slammed his head on the filthy pavement. His eyes lost their sparkle and took a glazed cast. With all the force I could muster, I slammed again, and again, and again, till I felt his skull crack, like one of those Terry's chocolate oranges my mother used to get me every Easter. The kind you could smack on the counter to break apart into little chocolate slices. But it wasn't enough. I continued to bash the back of his head against the filthy concrete floor until there was a pool of blood, brain, and bone fragments. And all the while, 
That lunatic smile remained on his face. No matter how hard I smashed his obliterated cranium against the concrete, that demon grin with his crooked yellow teeth stayed. You know, one thing I've always struggled with is finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. Plus, I am not the best with numbers. But now, I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. And I know you do not have the time or mental bandwidth to deal with customer service, but don't worry, they'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. That's rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. Rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. Eventually, I came to my senses and the adrenaline in my system started to dwindle. My flayed hand was on fire, and my head was swimming. I knew if I didn't get some medical attention soon, there would be three bodies in this abandoned building instead of two, and being eaten by rats and bugs until some junkies looking for shelter found me didn't sound like a very good career prospect. Plus... I knew that muscle-bound bitch was likely still lurking around somewhere, and I was none too keen on the idea of attempting to fight that yoked-up monster off. I didn't have it in me. That energy was spent. I'd be lucky if I had enough to get myself to the hospital. I turned my attention to the little pale gremlin on the floor with a pulverized head. I rifled through his pockets for a key to the remaining shackle around my wrist. And maybe some cash. I did need compensation after all. No cash or key. But around his neck, on a thin leather cord, I found a thumb drive. God knows what was on it. More sick snuff clips, some virulent strain of child pornography, or maybe if I'm lucky, some crypto. That is how these freaks pay each other, after all. Difficult to trace and all that. I pocketed it for safekeeping. It could prove useful if someone of authority somehow traced me back to this abandoned abattoir and the lifeless bodies inside. 
I lurch to my feet and force myself in the direction of the large slatted roller door, half falling, half running out, my vision blackening around the edges. I staggered out of the rotting edifice and over to my car. I slumped into the driver's seat and, after a few tries, rammed the key into the ignition. The sweet music of the engine turning over and sputtering to life was one of the most beautiful sounds I'd ever heard. My head was getting heavy now. Eyelids even heavier. Just need to get to an emergency room. My eyes closed for a moment. Just a second, it seemed. When they opened again, the car was shaking and jumping, no longer on the road and hurtling toward a thick oak tree. The car hit with a sickening crunch, not unlike the sound of bones breaking. Or maybe that was my bones breaking. I could smell the boiling coolant and brake fluid sizzling on the hot engine block. And then everything went black. Consciousness crashed over me, not like a warm wave from the ocean, but like a bucket of ice water. Fluorescent light scorched my eyes. Tubes ran out of me in every direction. My right hand lay mummified in inches-thick gauze and bandage. Gagging, I grabbed the endotracheal and nasogastric intubation tubes leading out of my mouth and nose with my good hand and pulled. They seemed to go forever, pulling out and out like the colored scarves from a magician's mouth. But finally, I found the end and I gasped for breath. I found the nurse call button on a cord in the bed and repeatedly jabbed at it as my eyes began to adjust to the harsh lighting. How long had I been unconscious? Where was I? How had I gotten here? I needed answers. And water. I was parched, my mouth drier than it had ever been. I got my answers. And my water. I had been in a coma for three and a half months. Whether it was the hits to the head or the car accident that did it, it was anyone's guess. Skin grafts were taken from the back of my thigh for my hand's new glove. It looked sort of okay. The skin was shiny and tight-looking, without all the classic human creases and ridges and sans fingernails, of course. Can't graft that. I'd give a palm reader a hell of a time with this one. I'd had some maxillofacial surgery as well. Reconstruction of my pulverized jaw, teeth, and orbital bones. Basically all the bones in my face. But again, I was blessed to have slept through that recovery as well. There was another silver lining, too. Since I was in a coma, I couldn't feed the monkey on my back. So, I was no longer physically addicted to opiates managed to sleep through all the worst of the withdrawals. So there's that. Thank God for small favors, I guess. I was, however, 
currently in immense pain, and it seemed that there would be no relief for the foreseeable future. When a nurse came in the room with a nice clean syringe of that wonderful hospital morphine for relief from the pain I was most surely in, I reluctantly told her no. Might as well keep up the streak. A little later, the police came and they had questions. How was I doing? Was I from around here? Why had I been found covered in blood in a wrecked car with a demolished face, stab wounds, and the skin on one hand completely and deliberately sloughed off? I told them I couldn't remember at all. Amnesia, most likely from the horrific head trauma I had suffered. They didn't believe me, but it didn't matter. They told me if I miraculously had any recollection to give them a call. I said I would, but I found it strange that they hadn't mentioned the carnage at the slaughterhouse. Surely someone must have stumbled onto that scene by now. But I guess it's like they say, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I wouldn't be discharged for another few weeks, and I'd need months of rehab with my new and decidedly not improved hand. Once the trials and tribulations of healing and getting strength back were over, the real issue started. Upon discharge from the hospital with a mountain of medical bills I knew I'd never be paying, I was faced with the task of putting my life back together. I'd been evicted from my Fleabag studio apartment. The landlord wasn't exactly sympathetic to my plight as a piece-of-shit drug addict who was bad about making rent even when I wasn't in a coma. All my possessions were gone as well. Apparently, a landlord is only obligated to store a tenant's belongings for 18 days before disposing of them. Though, I doubt he even waited that long. Not too big of a loss. Just some old records and a bunch of drug paraphernalia. Anything of real value had been pawned in a withdrawal fugue ages ago. My car was totaled, and with no insurance, I was left with no prospects of replacing it. All I had to my name were a soon-to-be-cut-off cell phone, a wallet with 30 bucks, and a thumb drive with God knows what on it. I was starting from square one, but I was alive, and seemingly off scot-free. So... I guess I should count my blessings. Shit, maybe I could even turn my life around and get a job that didn't involve getting the shit beat out of me. I damn sure didn't have the stomach for the business anymore anyways. Thanks for listening, and thank you so much to this week's author... Andrew Parker. Thank you again, Andy, for sending that in. And thank you for reminding me that you sent it in. So see, folks, there's nepotism here, but my friends even submit the same way everyone else does. And I lose their submission, not lose them, but they do get buried in the stack of submissions. And so, yeah, I have, I I don't play favorites, uh, just so you know. So if you want your story turned into something like this, you can send it to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com if you want a little keepsake of your writing in the form of this weird lady 
reading it with special effects going on in the background. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. You can find the show if you'd like more uh, social media stuff at Scare You to Sleep on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, the Facebook hit 5,000 uh, people. That was awesome. Thank you so much. That was cool. Uh, yeah. So head on over to Facebook if you'd like to interact a little more with your fellow scare you to sleep listeners. I don't have a name for you. I never have. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, if you want updates on the show, that's wherever I post if the show's going to be like late or there's going to be special episodes coming out. So follow me there. And what else? Oh, go listen to Historic Hangouts, my other show that I do, where we talk about history. And this week we talk about ghosts and murder. And, uh, yeah, so go check out Historic Hangouts. It's, we did it on the Wabasha Street Caves in St. Louis, St. Paul, Minnesota. And I've been told already that I pronounced that incorrectly. I apologize, Minnesotans. And also, it was way wilder than I thought it would be. So, yeah, if you like history and you want something, you, and you kind of like the rambles at the end like this, something a little more casual... Go check out Historic Hangouts wherever you get your podcasts. Um, what else did I bake this week? I did. I made cupcakes from scratch. I'm not going to share the recipe and I'm not going to say whose recipe it was, but they were not my favorite. Um, I, it, it, they just, I don't know. There was something about them. They were a little, they were a little bitter, I want to say. And I like a little bitter in my chocolate, but there was just something about them that was a little and they were a little dense, to be honest. Um, but they were okay. They were edible. They were, you know, I'm, I'm not going to throw them out. <laughs> but uh, So I made chocolate cupcakes with uh, vanilla frosting because I don't, I'm not a chocolate on chocolate person. If I have a chocolate cake, I want like a vanilla frosting because chocolate on chocolate to me is too rich. I know, I know. I mean, I'm, I won't again, I won't turn away. If you hand me a, a slice of chocolate on chocolate cake, I'm not going to turn it away, <laughs> but, but, uh, just throwing that out there. I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just, you know, putting more information about myself out there in the universe for you to build some sort of clone or doppelganger of me. And it'll be more and more accurate and harder and harder for when my loved one is standing there deciding which one to shoot It'll be more difficult for them to figure out which is the one to shoot. Um, you know, just <laughs> out here providing a service. Uh, this show's so fucking weird sometimes. Um, anyway, uh, what else? I don't know what else to say this week. I have a lot going on. My brain's... It's, there's there's stuff coming out soon. Uh, I would, the, the new Screenbox podcast that I'm a part of uh, is coming out March 8th. So look out for that. The Scream Box podcast. I'm very excited. I have three co-hosts. It's going to be awesome. We just talk about horror movies that are on Scream Box. And Scream Box is awesome. And it's 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 awesome. Uh, also, there's a bloody disgusting TikTok channel. If you want to check that out. And I'm on there every once in a while. I know. Doing TikTok. It's crazy. Um, so if you want to see that. I, I'm putting a lot of eggs in a lot of baskets. Uh, it makes me more comfortable. It makes me feel more secure financially when I got my hands in a lot of pies. That was a lot of uh, metaphors right there for you. Um, food based too. 
who knew? <laughs> so yeah, let's see. I think that's all I need to announce. Historic hangouts, check. Screen box, check. I swear I'm forgetting something. I swear. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, uh, Domira Marir, go listen. It's been so successful. The numbers are crazy. Like, great. Thank you so much to those of you who listen to this show and that show. Um, mostly I'm saying that because I can't talk to those people. So I'm talking to you who, if you're here now. And thank you because seriously, the numbers are bananas. I had no idea it would be that successful. And I'm very, very excited about it. Um, I wrote an article about it. I linked it on social media if you follow me there or go follow me and you can read it. And it was my first article I've ever written for Bloody Disgusting. So that was very exciting. Very, very exciting. Um, yes. Okay. I'm not feeling rambly. This is actually pretty long. It's not terribly short. It just feels short. It feels like I usually say a little more, but I just don't have much to say this week. I'm sorry, folks. All right. Why don't you go enjoy the rest of your evening? Go drink some water. Go get some sleep and sweet dreams. Item number SCP-5186. SCP-7160. SCP-7533. Object class. Euclid. Keter. Safe. Special containment procedures. Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust. <laughs> the only thing I could hear was 7219 <laughs> laughing. Do you remember your name? Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.